think we can start. In this. We can start. Huh? So, um, I mean, people are still settling in, but... Okay, um, hello and welcome, hello and, hello, hello and welcome to our lunch event today, welcome to our lunch event today on state aid and tax rulings. Um, this is of course uh, a very, very big topic that has been uh, thrown to the front page news uh, with the recent ruling by uh, the European Commission on, on Apple, um, in which the European Commission asked um, Apple to pay 13 billion euros uh, to the Irish authorities. And um, currently, my understanding is that, the, that Apple is in the process of actually paying uh, this amount into, into, an, into an escrow account uh, in, in Ireland. So this, this decision has been usually controversial, as you all know. Um, and uh, it's a great pleasure to host today a debate uh, on the topic in general, not just on Apple, but on the topic in general, the question uh, whether national tax rulings violate and can violate EU state aid rules, whether the European Commission's approach raises concerns about member state sovereignty, and what is the potential impact of corporate investments in Europe. So we have um, on uh, a number of questions that uh, hope, will hopefully be answered by, by our panel today. Uh, I think we are, we are very uh, honored and, uh, and um, pleased to welcome today uh, really an excellent panel of, of experts on the matter. Uh, I'll start with, with Clemens, Clemens Fust. Clemens Fust <clears throat> is the director and president of the IFO Institute uh, in, in Munich. So um, uh, he's been there, I think, now for a year almost um, uh, as, uh, at the Institute. Um, and uh, Clemens is an expert in, uh, in tax policy, in fact, in, tax, uh, in tax, uh, uh, the economics of taxation of, of multinational corporations. Clemens will start um, the, um, the discussion with a roughly 20-minute presentation. Uh, and following Clemens, we will have uh, uh, three, um, three discussions, and let me get the order uh, right. So Gert Jan Koopman, uh, I think, is also well known in this room, and he will actually uh, be coming a second time this week uh, uh, on Friday to, to another event here to, to Brügel. Gert Jan is um, Deputy Director General at the European Commission DG Competition, um, the man in charge of state aid <coughs> uh, at the European Commission. Following Khatyan, Damian Neven uh, will uh, will give his views uh, from uh, the point of view of an academic. He's professor of international economics um, at the Graduate Institute uh, uh, in Geneva of Geneva, and has been um, chief economist um, of DG Competition uh, before. 
And last but not least, uh, Nicole Robbins um, is a principal consultant at Oxera. Oxera is a consultancy firm that uh, also is heavily involved in, in state aid uh, consultancy for multinational companies. But Oxera, if I, I, I was well informed, uh, is not uh, directly implicated in the, in the Apple case. So she will give a perspective from, uh, uh, from, uh, from, uh, from the private sector. So um, without much further ado, uh, Clemens, thank you for coming and for kicking this off. And so I very much look forward to your presentation. Uh, OK, thank you, Gundram. Uh, good afternoon. I'm very pleased to be here. Maybe I should go over here. Uh, so, so I should say, my, you know, as Gundram said, my personal area of work is corporate taxation and uh, taxation of multinational company. I'm not an expert on EU state aid. Uh, I uh, have some experience, though, with, um, I guess, more national discussions about you know, what state aid actually is and what subsidies are. And, uh, you know, very, this very quickly gets philosophical, let's say. Uh, and I was interested by this case, as I think many people, because it's not quite clear, I suppose, what this actually is. You know, is this about tax avoidance of multinational companies? Is this about conflicts between governments uh, regarding taxing rights? Uh, or is this about state aid, really? Uh, and, and subsidies. And I would you know, quickly like to take you through the way I have tried to understand it. What makes this case difficult is that, at least as far as I know, um, a lot of the relevant documents are not public. I mean, the, tax, the Irish tax rulings are not public. You know, that, that makes it difficult. Uh, okay. Um, and, you know, a lot of, of course, obviously, you know, a lot of tax data of Apple is not public. Some of it is, was made public in the U.S. Senate hearings about the case, and, you know, that helps a little bit. But, you know, what I've done is, you know, in a way, you know, put together these different pieces, and what I will present to you is my own understanding, uh, you know, as far as I got uh, of the Apple case. Uh, so um, I would like to start talking a little bit about state aid in the EU. What is it? Uh, then um, uh, I would like to talk a little bit about Apple. So what is the, the business model, in my understanding, and how do they arrange their affairs? <laughs> Uh, to get, you know, get where they are today. Uh, then, you know, the 13 billion, it's not a major question, but I've tried, you know, on the, on the basis of some back-of-the-envelope calculation, you know, I've tried to get at those 13, 13 billions. And, you know, I think what I will present to you is, is not entirely correct. I've just discussed this with Jan. But anyway, um, uh, you know, I'm here to learn as well, so uh, let's, let's see where that takes us. And then uh, I'll come up with some uh, conclusions. Okay. Uh, so what is state aid in the EU? Um, uh, you know, it's all uh, based on Article 107. Uh, and I suppose, um, I mean, at least most economists would agree that uh, an internal market needs some kind of state aid, uh, basically because uh, you can use national subsidies and tax instruments to distort trades. You know, they, they can be an almost perfect substitute for tariffs. <laughs> Uh, so if you want to have undistorted trade in an internal market, you know, you need something like this. You know, you need state aid control. Um, I mean, you can go further and argue, you know, this is not just about um, barriers to trade. This is about preventing distortions generally, and then it gets difficult. Okay, but, um, uh, you know, I think there should be broad agreement, at least among economists, that, you know, having something like state aid is necessary to have, uh, have an internal market. Um, now, clearly, the issue is what are the limits of uh, state aid control? So how do you, def how do you define state aid? Uh, in, for instance, in Germany, we have 
reporting on state aid uh, and you know different types of reporting. And what's being reported there ranges from something like 20 billion to more than 200 billion. Uh, okay, and I think what this demonstrates is that uh, you know defining you know what state aid actually is is uh, tricky. Okay, basically. Uh, what you need is, uh, in the area of taxation, for, for instance, you need some kind of a reference system, so a tax system where state, state aid is absent. Uh, and, you know, every deviation from this standard system would be, uh, you know, would define what state aid is, and, you know, that's very difficult uh, doing that. Uh, and, uh, now, what are the issues raised by the Apple case? I guess, uh, you know, the... Um, is this a, rule, a case of state aid at all? Uh, as I said here, the trouble is that the Irish tax rulings do not seem to be public. Uh, so it's, in a way, it's hard to say. But um, uh, what seems to play a key role here, as far, far as I understand, is this issue of factual selectivity. You know, there, there seems to be no explicit selectivity because uh, you know, my understanding of this story is um, Apple you know, had some structures, suggested some corporate structures. Uh, for instance, uh, you know, set up for, for its company ASI and ask the Irish government, if we do this, d does this lead our company to have a residence for tax purposes in Ireland? And the answer of the Irish government was, uh, under Irish law, you are not a tax resident in Ireland. Okay. So is this selective? <coughs> Probably not. Is it factually selective? So it is, is it a general rule designed for a particular company? Maybe. Uh, you know, I think this is really a borderline case, but uh, you know, Jan will say, say more about that. Uh, so let's take a look at the economic model, as I understand it, uh, uh, of Apple. Uh, what we see here is uh, Apple's, uh, this is all taken from financial reporting of, of Apple, and some of the data I'll show you is taken from the US Senate hearing. Um, uh, about uh, Apple tax avoidance. And, and what you see here is uh, U.S. and foreign pre-tax earnings. And what you see basically is, you know, the, uh, as we all know, Apple has a substantial uh, U.S. business and an even larger foreign business. You know, it say, you know, sells its iPhones and other products worldwide in China and Europe uh, and in the U.S. And the interesting years are, you know, maybe the last, you know, eight or ten years the profits were massive, you know, beyond 50 billion a year. So it's a fairly unusual case of profitability. Now let's take a look at the, at the taxes. So here we have a data issue because uh, taxes reported in financial reporting um, may deviate significantly from corporate taxes actually paid. Or the question is, you know, what are what are you actually interested in? Are you interested in cash tax payments in each year? Are you interested in provisions for income taxation? Um, um, how, wh how do you think about deferred tax, which plays uh, a key role uh, in the U.S.? Um, so like, let's take a look at a few numbers. I think what takes us closest to what a lot of people have in mind is the cash taxes paid, reported in financial reporting. And if you, if you, if you look at those numbers, what you find is that the effective tax rate uh, of Apple is somewhere between, uh, you know, this is Apple global cash taxes paid divided by global profits. And the effective tax rate is somewhere between 10 and 20%. The effective tax rate reported by Apple is a lot higher. Um, as I'm sure many of you know, it's, it's more around 30%. But this includes provisions for future taxation. So foreign profits in the US are subject to US taxation, but as long as you don't repatriate the profit, the tax is deferred. 
Okay, but that's a future tax liability uh, for these companies, and that's how they book it. Okay, so that's one way of looking at the tax. Uh, and, um, you know, that's the tax. If you look at tax provisions, you know, then you, um, the orange bars here, then you get closer to the 30 percent, um, uh, to, to the 30 percent. You know, of course, what, what a lot of companies hope, and I, I'm sure what Apple counts on is that, you know, some, at some point in the future, there will be some tax holiday coming along. You know, if, if you think there will never be a tax, tax holiday, it makes no sense to, uh, you know, keep your cash abroad. But, uh, you know, if you think there will be tax holidays like the, the 2004 tax holiday at some point, you know, it's interesting to leave it there. And once you get the holiday, uh, you bring it home. Okay. And in so far, you know, this kind of effective tax rate is a kind of misleading, you know, because maybe the ultimate tax on Apple will be lower than, than what's reported here. Okay. And Trump, you know, the Trump administration has announced that there will be some kind of tax incentive to repatriate this money. Uh, okay, now uh, I think maybe the most interesting question here is how are the tax payments distributed across regions and uh, countries? And that's, uh, I think, uh, that's really the key, uh, key issue here. Uh, what you see here is the global distribution of net sales of Apple. So where do they actually sell their products? Uh, and um, so the, the blue part here is the U.S. Uh, and Latin America. So, you know, this was 50% originally and declined a little bit. And what's been growing is basically Asia. You know, there are some, uh, you know, something like 20% of the sales are, uh, uh, go to Europe. Uh, there's a growing market of Apple in China, uh, and approximately 40% of the sales are, uh, take place in, in, in the Americas. Uh, this is the share of U.S. and foreign earnings in global reported earnings. And, uh, you know, this basically reflects the distribution of sales. Okay, something like 40% uh, is uh, generated in the U.S., actually a little less, and uh, the rest uh, is, is uh, you know, according to financial reporting, is generated uh, abroad. And that's where the tax is paid. This is income tax provisions. And that's the interesting part. So, you know, 90% uh, of the tax uh, paid by Apple is U.S. tax. Uh, and, uh, you know, you see the mismatch between the sales uh, and uh, the tax actually paid. And um, my, as I said, you know, my understanding of the case is that this is really what we are talking about. I mean, this, you know, subsidy, state aid and so on is all fine, but, uh, you know, this is sort of a key issue uh, uh, in this case. And uh, here, uh, now here I have taken, this was all financial reporting data, now this is tax data. This is taking, taken data taken from the U.S. Senate hearing about the tax, and they use the tax returns, actually, the, the Apple tax returns, for, at least for domestic tax. Uh, and uh, you, here you see that um, the effective tax rate are, in fact, quite low, and for instance, the uh, 2011 tax rate, uh, the effective foreign tax rate, so foreign tax payments divided by foreign earnings is 2%. Okay, so, uh, you know, it's really, um, uh, it's, it's really very low. So when the, when the, the commission challenged this, um, here, you know, a Apple responded, and it's quite interesting what they said. You know, they said, uh, you know, taxes for multinational companies are complicated and so on. Um, and then, you know, the fundamental principle is profits should be taxed in the country where the value is created. 
uh, and that's a principle which is, uh, I believe, you know, highly problematic uh, for practical purposes. But uh, this is a principle very much embraced by the OECD as well. You know, so it's a very important, uh, it's very important principle. And now that's interesting. In Apple's case, they say all of our research and development takes place in California, not in Europe. And that's why they say, you know, Europe has no right to tax profits of Apple. And uh, you see the contrast, you know, they don't seem to think that value is generated where the sales take place. They, you know, they argue the value is created where the research is carried out. So from that perspective, Apple is a business where you create value in California. You have smart people design wonderful iPhones, uh, and you know, that's, the, that's the value created. And the rest uh, you know, is just you know, carrying out uh, the sales and so on. And that, that would say you know, the, uh, the right tax is entirely in the US. Uh, and um, uh, it's, now it's interesting to, to ask, how do they actually get at their tax payments? You know, and uh, how do they produce? Uh, their you know, sales and tax payments, and uh, this is not, uh, the, this is not uh, the corporate structure. It's you know, my understanding of how the business works. You know, and and it, it works in the following way. You have Apple US and their activities in Silicon Valley, their research. You know, there's some research going on somewhere else, but you know, that's the biggest part of it. Uh, and then they have what I've called offshore subsidiaries. You know, they are registered, the companies are registered in Ireland, but they have no tax residence in Ireland. Okay. Uh, and um, this research is being paid, and I think that's one of the weaknesses in the Apple presentation, you know, one of the obvious weaknesses. Uh, so formally, uh, the, the research is carried out on the basis of a cost-sharing agreement. So you say, okay, you know, we have all these guys in Silicon Valley doing the research, uh, but uh, you know, we will have two companies, in fact, commissioning the research. You know, it's not like there is a company in the U.S. as you might think, you know, doing the research, uh, you know, owning the patents and everything. Uh, but it's a cost-sharing model, and that's very important. So in a cost-sharing model, you say, uh, you know, the, let's say the entrepreneur is sitting you know, partly in the U.S. and partly offshore. We have two entrepreneurs, and these people tell the research labs, wherever they are based, you know, please you know, develop, do this and that, develop this and that research, and the patent will be mine. Yeah? You, just, you just do the research. I pay you know, your salaries and whatever is appropriate, but the research will be mine. Okay, and that uh, uh, you know leads the ownership to be uh, to a large extent offshore. You know, the ownership of the research is offshore, and I guess the trouble is if you compare that. You know, and then, you know, once it's offshore, it's clear. You know, you can say, okay, uh, you know, we give, um, uh, you know, we have the iPhones produced in China, sold in Europe, or wherever. Uh, but the real value is uh, is offshore. Now, the trouble is this is in contrast with this. You know, Apple message. Uh, you know, uh, the, the 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 profit should be taxed in the country where the value is created, because formally, uh, you know, the value isn't created in California. This is a result of the tax sharing agreement. The the you know, strictly formally, the value is created partly by the U.S. parent company and partly offshore. Okay. Uh, so you know, within this uh, you know Apple story, you have this um, 
contradiction. And now, you know, what they do is they have someone in China manufacture the stuff and then they ship it. You know, they, this company buys the stuff from China and sells it on to Europe, for instance, you know, or to, to other countries. And then, you know, by, you know, setting the right prices, uh, you know, you have all the, all the profits offshore. Okay, that's how they do it. And what's the, now let's take a very brief look at the formal structure. And I think the one interesting company, there are, you know, two involved in the state aid case, but the really interesting part is ASI, Apple Sales International, where they have most of the profits. Uh, most of the foreign profits. Uh, so this Apple Sales International is a company registered in Ireland. Uh, as I said, you know, it makes approximately 90% of all non-American profits. Non-US is not quite right. It's, it's out of the Americas. Um, and my understanding, now I'm speculating because I haven't seen the ruling. My understanding is that prior to 2009, there was a special tax rate or a profit-splitting deal with the Irish government. And since 2009, uh, they seem to have this residence mismatch thing going on. Uh, so no residence for tax purpose, uh, purposes, uh, you know, neither in the US or in Ireland. In fact, for instance, what the directors seem to be doing is they meet in the US. Okay, so the directors of ASI meet in the US, uh, but they don't, um, uh, uh, so, so they have no tax residence in the US and they don't have a tax residence in um, Ireland either. Okay, and that does the trick, so they have a tax residence nowhere, and if you have a tax residence nowhere, you don't pay tax anywhere. Okay. Uh, so here is what's going on. So the true structure is a bit more complicated, but uh, uh, you, know, you, you see what's going on here. This is again from the Senate hearing uh, in 2011. ASI pre-tax earnings were 22 billion, uh, and the tax they pay was 10 million. Okay, so it's really close to nothing. Okay, and you know, they did it the same way, and uh, here is uh, you know, where, where you get the effective tax rate. Okay, so that, seem, you know, that seems to be the business. Um, last point, you know, how, where do we get, uh, how do we get to the 13 billion? Uh, and this is the back of, of the envelope calculation, basically. So you just uh, look at overall foreign profits from financial reporting. 90% of that is going to ASI, that's 140 billion. You can convert that to euro and multiply it by the Irish corporate tax rate. You know, that's, I mean, it's very rough, but, uh, and, and maybe wrong, as, as Jan will explain to us in a minute. But you know, from that perspective, it makes sense. One of the, the questions is, is this really all coming from Europe? Formally, this is not relevant, because you know, this, if, if the commission argues, this is actually a company that does have residence uh, in Ireland. It, you, know, you can say formally, it doesn't matter. But uh, you know, maybe if you think about this in terms of uh, a tax avoidance case or a, or a conflict about taxing rate, uh, rights between the US and Europe, I think this question is relevant. So what, you know, which part of these profits is coming? But uh, out of Europe, you know, in, it's not such a key issue. You know, if, whether it's 12 or 10 or 13 billion is maybe not, not so important. But you know, that's my understanding of what's going on here. Where does this all lead us? Uh, you know, I think Apple is a very good example of multinational tax planning made possible by the existing system. So I think what this demonstrates very clearly is that our international tax system doesn't work properly. And it is in need of reform. And exactly you know, how this should be reformed is a question. I think a key issue in this area is not so much conflicts between companies and governments. It's actually 
conflicts between governments. I mean, the, U the U.S. government has the view that all of these profits belong to the U.S., okay? And they would, you know, I guess very much follow this Apple argument that profits of multinational companies should be taxed uh, where, uh, you know, the IP is produced. Uh, the, you know, the, the other view would be, uh, in fact, something uh, the current administration seems to like, which is um, companies should be taxed where their clients are. It's a completely different view uh, on um, the international distribution of taxing rights. So the Ryan-Trump proposal says, you know, we should have taxing rights exclusively uh, where the sales are. You know, I mean, there are, uh, th th this reform would, would completely transform this. I think there is no, you know, sort of true answer to this. It's, it's a matter of convention. Uh, but, you know, we need some, uh, I think we need, we need some convention. So just, just to say, you know, profits should be taxed where the value is created doesn't help you because it's not clear where, where the value is created, you know. Um, uh, I guess that's one of the, uh, uh, the challenges now regarding state aid. Uh, I think this really is a borderline case. So, you know, if, you, if a country says uh, you don't have a residence here, and if multinational companies exploit mismatch, I mean, this is perfectly legal. What Apple is doing here is perfectly legal. Legal. It's uh, not everything that's perfectly legal is intended, intended, or you know, uh, positive or fair or, or anything, right? And uh, you know, if uh, a, co a company exploits a mismatch in residency rules, the question is. Uh, is this a case of state aid? You know, does it distort trade uh, uh, in Europe? And I think you know, it's, it's a borderline case. Um, I think there's some justification in saying you know, there is a danger that if this gets, gets too expansionary, countries don't know anymore whether they can, you know, what they can actually do and don't know anymore whether uh, you know, things they do, policies they have, uh, are legal under, under state. So I think there is a lot of, you know, not just due to the Apple case, but there is the issue of, of uncertainty, uh, which has a cost in terms of, of, of investment. So I think um, clarification is needed, more clarification is needed regarding the scope of state aid and the underlying uh, concept, really. Last point, as I said, I think more than a conflict between companies and governments, this is a conflict among governments. You know, as a lot of things going on in multinational taxation, uh, you know, it's a clear conflict between the U.S., the interests of the U.S. in taxing this, and in fact also in having maintaining the current system. The, the trouble with U.S. corporate tax policy is that they tax the worldwide profits of multinational companies, uh, and at the same time they want their own companies to avoid paying too much tax abroad. And that's why the current U.S. tax system is structured exactly as it is. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it's, you know, a very, uh, you know, this is all a very targeted system. And Apple, in fact, basically did what the U.S. What US tax policy wants it to do. Uh, you know, it, it very, uh, I don't know whether, whether it's very elegant, but, you know, it it's, uh, uh, very effectively avoids tax abroad and brings it all home to America and uh, one day, and if they do that, you know, it will be subject to tax. So I really think it's a conflict between, uh, between governments. Thank you.
Well, thank, thank you very much, uh, Clemens. Uh, I think there was a lot of material in there and a lot of food for thought also for the discussion um, afterwards, um, including on this question how the Trump administration or the new tax approach will actually change the picture. Uh, uh, perhaps we can come back to that in the Q&A, but before doing so, let's, let's turn to our other speakers and, of course, have, have Gert Jan first to, uh, to present um, the view uh, of the European Commission um, on on this very very important case, and I, I believe you also have a PowerPoint. So yes, so um, please. Thank you very much. Uh, good good afternoon to all of you. Thank you, uh, Clemens, for introducing the point. Uh, I I have uh, three slides to show you, so don't 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 worry. It's not going to be a, a fully fledged <laughs> alternative uh, alt facty uh, presentation. Um, However, before I show the slides, I would like to, to clarify three things. One, a factual thing, which is that our decision is available on our website, and it actually contains all the relevant information in terms of the accounts, the rulings, uh, and the legal reasoning. And I, I think it's important to, to take that as a point of departure. Anyone who's interested in this case, I would refer to this decision. It's true that we've had to black out some figures to protect confidentiality, but I think the decision is, is, is very uh, legible uh, uh, nevertheless. That's the first point. Second point in, in, in state aid, um, we look at the facts as they present themselves in the accounts of the company and the corporate structures that a company uses and the transaction that a company does. So we, we are looking at reality and we are, for, we are subsequently applying uh, well-tested uh, 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 metrics uh, to it to determine whether there is state aid. So in that sense, I'm going to walk you through uh, the company's structure as we uh, see it, which is factual. Uh, I'll, I'll put some nuances uh, compared to, to, to the previous presentation and then take you through the state aid reasoning. Third point, uh, uh, by way of introduction, um, what matters in uh, fiscal state aid is whether there is a selective advantage. Uh, and this is something which uh, I think some of the companies concerned in our cases uh, uh, try to obfuscate a little bit. This is not new. The Commission has been uh, dealing with fiscal state aid cases for forever, basically, and we've been looking at what you could label tax avoidance schemes very actively uh, uh, since the uh, mid-90s. Um, rulings are slightly newer as a subject, but it's worth pointing out that uh, uh, even uh, uh, 15 years ago in a, in, a, in a communication that was intended to provide guidance, we pointed out that rulings can uh, uh, provide state aid to companies if they uh, confer a selective advantage on the company concerned. So in that sense, whilst obviously every case uh, is uh, uh, specific, uh, uh, the uh, notion that fiscal uh, uh, interventions can give rise to state aid is, is certainly uh, not, not a new notion. Under the legal order of the Union, uh, when uh, member states uh, plan to give state aid or whether when they are in doubt, then the treaty is clear. They should notify to the Commission for a Commission ruling. So a Commission decision on, 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 on first whether something is aid and secondly, if so, whether it is a compatible aid. So that, that just by way of introduction. Now, if you look at the company structure, so this slide, uh, it's worth pointing out that our case um, involves not the uh, Apple Inc. Uh, mother company uh, located in the US. We've got nothing uh, uh, to do with that. That's not a European company. Uh, we are looking at two companies that are 
registered in Ireland, uh, ASI and AOE, um, and that are uh, partly uh, tax uh, resident in Ireland. In fact, uh, because Ireland under its national laws operates, um, uh, operated, used to operate uh, a system called the Double Irish, these companies had the specificity of having a uh, branch located in Ireland that was also tax resident in Ireland, but uh, uh, the other part of the companies, so the headquarters uh, in this case, were not uh, uh, tax resident in Ireland. So these were Irish companies with uh, an entity that uh, uh, was located uh, outside of Ireland for, 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 for tax purposes. I'll come back to that because that's the heart of the state aid case, which is, at the end of the day, uh, uh, a legal case based on the facts, facts of the matter. Now, what this graph shows you is that the two companies concerned, and as, as claims has pointed out, the one that is most relevant is ASI, which is the distribution company, um, basically uh, registered all of the sales of, of Apple uh, in the EMEA area, so Europe, Middle East, and Africa. So it's, it's not everything outside of uh, uh, the US, but, but you know, very largely uh, so. Um, all the stores located for the purposes of this simple illustration in Europe are not permanent establishments, so they're not tax residents in these European companies. They're simply distributors that act on behalf of Apple Sales International located in Ireland. So, in effect, uh, when you buy an Apple computer, you buy it off a company uh, located in Ireland. Uh, I should point out that these are all choices, corporate uh, structure choices, which Apple made. Uh, uh, and that is perfectly legitimate. Uh, nothing wrong with that. Uh, and uh, uh, the question then is, of course, if Apple chooses to set up its uh, corporate structure in this manner, uh, then we have to look at uh, the revenues and the profits of these Irish companies. Um, now, the second point that is important is that, uh, and, and you alluded to this, uh, Clemens, is that the Irish companies have the right to exploit Apple's IP produced in Cupertino under the cost-sharing uh, agreement. Um, so when this was first set up in the 1990s, effectively this right was moved to these companies, it was sold, uh, and subsequently, because of course certainly in this area, uh, the IP is highly dynamic. Uh, according to a very uh, plausible key, namely simply a share in the total sales uh, of, of all Apple uh, companies, uh, uh, the uh, uh, European companies contribute to the further development. In fact, they actually pay more than 50% of the IP development costs. So, very important point here. They are the legal uh, holder uh, of the IP uh, uh, in, 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 in the EMEA area, they have the right to uh, exploit it, and therefore they should also be uh, remunerated on it. What then happens, and this is the red bit of the graph, afterwards, once they have sold uh, their goods, uh, registered uh, their accounts, and uh, uh, paid their taxes in Europe, is a matter that falls outside of the scope of our state aid case. Very important to note that obviously, once these profits are uh, available for distribution to the mother company, then it becomes a matter for uh, uh, American uh, uh, tax uh, uh, law, uh, an enforcement of American uh, tax law. It's, nothing, it's, it's got nothing to do with uh, uh, our, uh, our European uh, uh, case. So it's true that these American companies, and I'm talking now about Apple and, uh, and its brethren uh, more generally, 
you know, they, they sit on about $2,000 billion uh, uh, worth of uh, taxes that are to be repatriated. All of that is very interesting, but that's not what our case is about. Our case is simply about making sure that companies pay taxes due in Europe, like any other company doing business in Europe, according to the appropriate tax rate, and that no state aid is given in respect of that. So just, just for, for context, that's the first uh, 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 high-level take on uh, the company. Now, if I can have the second slide. Sorry, I have to do that myself. Sorry, I'm being very slow. Wow. So now we zoom in a little bit. Um, we, we see that the scope, uh, therefore, uh, of our investigation are these two entities, Apple Operations Europe and Apple Sales International, ASI and AOE. Uh, AOE, I leave that aside, it's a manufacturing entity, it's much smaller than ASI, so when I talk about ASI, it's shorthand for the two, but in reality, most of the profits are actually profits that uh, ASI uh, generates. And as I said earlier on, we're not looking at the European bit, which is the bit to the right, bottom right of this graph. Uh, those are the consequences of uh, the choices made by Apple in terms of how to set up its corporate, uh, corporate structure. And we're also top right-hand side of this graph, not looking at uh, the distribution uh, of uh, uh, profits uh, to uh, uh, Apple Inc. We're not questioning, actually, the uh, sep separate issue, the, 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 the payments under the cost-sharing agreement uh, by virtue of which uh, uh, ASI holds the right to exploit the IP uh, uh, outside, of, uh, outside of the Americas. So we're really looking at the question whether ASI is paying the right amount of taxes. And, you know, if, if you look at our decision, what you will see is that what the ruling said is that ASI and AOE were only obliged to pay a certain percentage uh, of the costs of uh, uh, the Irish branch of these companies. And that, that would be sufficient uh, under Irish uh, tax law uh, to uh, uh, ensure consistency uh, with uh, their tax obligations in Ireland. Now, what we're saying in our case is that actually that is uh, not sufficient uh, because one has to look uh, under uh, state aid rules, at whether uh, this is actually uh, an appropriate uh, 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 manner of taxing, uh, respecting the arm's length principle and the realities of these companies. And that is very important because outside of the branches that these companies have in, in Ireland, they have only a head office. So what de facto this tax ruling does is allocate more than 99% of the profits of these companies to the head office of these companies. That's de facto what this ruling means. And the question is, is that appropriate under state aid rules? Is that uh, 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 acceptable? Now, for that we uh, 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 have to evaluate whether this profit split, so this is the legal reasoning, whether this profit split uh, uh, is uh, acceptable taking account of the realities uh, of these two entities, the, uh, the head office and, and the rest of the company. I'll remind you, the head office is not uh, 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 subject to taxation in Ireland. The rest of the company is subject to taxation in Ireland. So um, I think I can figure out how to operate this thing now. If we look at um, ASI, um, what we see, and this is the core of our case, it's actually a relatively straightforward uh, case, 
is that the head office actually is a virtual head office. It doesn't have any physical presence. It doesn't have any employees. Um, it has no activity other than uh, board meetings, which happened, uh, depending on the year in question, eight to 10 times, which were conducted uh, by uh, 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 video calls and which uh, effectively were limited to discussions on the distribution of profits. So this was not a company that was actually doing anything to manage IP giving rise to, you know, in uh, 2011, 16 uh, uh, billion euros of profits. So the implication of the Irish tax ruling that all of the IP to which all of the profits were ascribed was being managed by a head office that actually didn't exist, in, in, in our view, is a blatant uh, uh, infringement of the OECD guidelines uh, uh, that relate uh, to, to these matters. You cannot attribute, for the purposes of a profit-split approach under the OECD uh, guidelines, uh, profits to an entity that is virtual. Uh, these guidelines are very clear. Profits have to follow uh, uh, the capacity to manage them. They need to have, uh, ne there needs to be uh, uh, appropriate risk management uh, and a capacity to actually conduct, conduct any business. So to, to, to look at it from this perspective, um, this is actually a relatively, uh, from a legal point of view, from a stated point of view, a relatively straightforward case that is not about valuing the IP, as I sometimes read. It's got nothing to do with valuing the IP. It's about you know, where the profits, the enormous profits of this company that chose itself to set it up in this way uh, uh, should, should, should be attributed. And what is simply not possible is to attribute, attribute these profits to something that doesn't exist. That is clearly a breach uh, of uh, 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 the way uh, profits uh, should, be, should be taxed because, and I close with that, under state aid rules, uh, what we look at is the reference framework. The reference framework is the corporate uh, tax uh, system. And under the corporate tax system, uh, 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 these profits should simply be taxed in Ireland. So in effect, what we are saying is these are profits that belong to a company that is registered in Ireland. The attribution through this ruling of these profits to an entity that's not tax resident in Ireland and that actually doesn't exist is erroneous. And therefore, Ireland forgave uh, 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 Apple the 12.5% the on its total profits uh, registered in the books of these companies, and they total over the period concerned uh, 13 uh, uh, billion euros. Um, it's an extreme case because whilst we see more of these double Irish uh, constructions, there are very few constructions that are so aggressive where the head office is, 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 is only virtual. So in that sense, simply applying the OECD guidelines when it comes to profit splits here is relatively easy. Had they uh, uh, mounted a head office uh, 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 with uh, you know, considerable staff to, to manage the IP with buildings, premises, and, and actually a, a capacity to manage the risks, which are not insignificant, then this would have been a different story. But that's not the reality out there. That's not what they did. What they chose to do was to construct this entity, which is non-existent. So from a state aid point of view, this is a legal analysis. This is a straightforward case, in our view, uh, uh, leading to uh, a very large uh, recovery order. Uh, and the recovery order is very large, simply because this is the world's most profitable company and we're looking in state aid at the past uh, 10 years. Are we creating uncertainty? 
Uh, is this disturbing uh, the business climate, investments in Europe? Well, let me just say on this that, um, as uh, I think my commissioner said uh, to uh, some of you, uh, um, any company that uh, sets up a system that leads to an effective tax rate in Europe uh, that is not 1%, not 0.1%, not even 0.05%, but 0.0005% should ask itself the question whether there is something wrong. So to invoke, uh, to invoke uh, 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 protest at uh, the unpredictability of the commission, European Commission's uh, enforcement of state aid rules in this particular setting, I must say, I find uh, somewhat uh, uh, surprising. I should also say that whilst uh, our enforcement uh, action is uh, not complete, and we have more cases. We have already, uh, in the summer of last year, published uh, a document that seeks to provide guidance uh, to member states and companies as to how we look at uh, transfer pricing and uh, uh, rulings and fiscal state aid in this context. Um, and we have also uh, published a notice on the notion of aid that, that seeks to take this uh, a step uh, further forward. We have clarified that as this uh, uh, investigation uh, uh, continues, uh, we will seek uh, to provide more guidance. I think guidance is important, uh, but guidance has to follow uh, uh, decisions, has to follow facts, uh, and cannot be based simply on the Commission's uh, views ex ante in abstracto. So some uncertainty, I'm afraid, is uh, uh, inevitable in these circumstances, but then again, um, uh, some uncertainty is maybe simply the price to pay for a situation which also from a state aid point of view uh, had gotten out of control somewhat. Thank you, thank you very much, Gert uh, Jan. I think there were also a number of points on which I would like to come back to you, you afterwards. One, one point is uh, the OECD guidelines, if you can spend a bit of time explaining that afterwards, but also discuss a little bit the tension between an Irish tax authority granting uh, approval for a certain decision and for a certain setup um, and then the European Commission, five or ten years later, questioning that, which, I, to my mind, does create some uncertainty. I mean, that, that, there, there is some uncertainty in, in that. But let's discuss that afterwards. Let's, let's first go to uh, uh, our two other discussants. Can I have the microphone? Oh, uh, you don't have a... You have a... Oh, I have one. Yeah, you have one. Okay. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, thank you very much, first, for Bruegel for having invited me to this, um, to this panel. Um, it's always a pleasure. Um, to talk here, um, and thank you very much for giving me the incentive to go through the state aid decision. I mean, <laughs> it is a, a very, um, a very meaty one. Um, and um, I, I'd like to actually complement what uh, Gertian has said. Um, and the first thing that I'd like to, uh, if I have this, the first thing I'd like to, to clarify is some of the facts. Now, I mean, I agree with Gertian's description, but I want to emphasize a few things. I mean, it's clear that ASI and AOE, and ASI is the most important one, is not a tax resident anywhere. Uh, but the Commission does not question that. Actually, the state aid case is not about that. Now, it's also clear, if you look at the economic activity, uh, that uh, ASI actually is procuring the iPhones or procuring the, the hardware, essentially from China, buying the, uh, the hardware from Foxconn, uh, and then he's basically selling them and distributing them, and basically is incurring the cost of procuring the iPhone and then selling and uh, distributing them. The third observation, which is also in line with what Clement said, is that ASI has a cost-sharing agreement with the US tax authority. 
Now, this cost-sharing agreement has this feature that under US tax law, income from the sales of the manufactured product, understand the iPhone, will evade, will actually uh, escape the US taxes, which is normally based on the principle of worldwide income, even when the valuable IP and the intangibles are embedded in the product. So essentially, it's the US tax authorities that have allowed Apple, in the context of this cost-sharing agreement, of evading completely uh, the tax that is, could be levied on the value that is created by intangible and created by the, uh, by the IP. And as Clement said earlier, normally the US is using the worldwide principle, so it's using the idea that you should be taxed in the US for all the income that you generate, whatever the location of where you generate that income. But in the case of Apple, it does not apply. Okay, because the cost-sharing agreements is basically saying all the intangibles, all the IP that you are using in order to sell iPhones outside the US is essentially escaping taxation. Now, of course, as uh, was pointed out earlier, under Irish tax law, I mean, the profit of the local branch has to be taxed. So the question uh, is essentially uh, to allocate the profit between the head office on the one hand and the Irish branch of uh, ASI. And the tax ruling of Ireland is essentially saying that in order to compute this notional profit, you can look at the cost of the Irish brand and add a markup to it of, own, of a certain percentage. So it's essentially a fixed markup on the cost that is incurred by the Irish branch. Now, if you look at the economics of this, what this leads to is essentially that there is what I refer to here as the great unbundling in the sense that tax is only paid, a notional tax is only paid on the plastics and the electronics component. I mean, essentially, what happens is that, I mean, the Irish branches are buying the iPhones, the plastic and the electronics component from Foxconn for $100. There is a profit of a certain percentage that is assumed to be the profit of the Irish branch on that amount, and taxes is paid on that amount, which, of course, leads to the, the, the sort of tax uh, payments at the tax rate or tax payments that we have seen, that we have seen earlier. And as Gertian has said, now what the, uh, what the commission decision does is to challenge the allocation of the profit between the Irish branch and the head office of, of ASI. So I think that that's essentially where we, we don't disagree on the facts uh, with, with, uh, uh, with Gertian. What I want to emphasize, however, is that the absence of taxes on the second part of the bundle, which is the most significant part in terms of value, is a consequence of a US tax uh, decision. Now, if we, if we now look at the, uh, uh, the way in which the commission structures the state aid decision. Now, Gertian says it's obvious because the head of it is not doing anything. And it's obvious in light of the OECD guidelines, uh, which implements the arm's length principles. Now, if you look at the underlying economics of it, I don't think it's so clear. Because what the OECD guidelines are meant to implement, I mean, is the idea that in allocating uh, taxes, you want to replicate what would happen, not between two units of the same corporate entity, but what would happen with an independent party. So you can ask one question, which is, on what term would an independent entity perform the function of buying the, Apple, the iPhones from Foxcom, selling and distributing them? And if you ask that question, it seems to me that the Irish government's answer is not stupid, that essentially there are going to be many, many people around who are going to be willing to bid for the contract of buying the iPhone from Foxcom, selling and distributing them for a cost-plus contract. 
essentially the cost of procuring the iPhone, the cost of distributing them, and um, essentially that would lead to a justification for what the Irish government has done. Now, of course, you can take the opposite perspective, which asks the question, on what term would an independent entity perform the function of the head office, which is, taxed, which is not taxed anywhere? And if you take that perspective, of course, the answer is very little. And that's what the commission says. I mean, that's why the commission is attributing 99% or 98% of the revenue of the company to the Irish branch. Now, which is the right perspective? I mean, is it the perspective of asking, I mean, what people would be willing to pay for the right to distribute, uh, procure and distribute the iPhone? Or is it that, I mean, the, the interesting question is the question of, I mean, what would uh, people be ready to pay in order to perform the function of the head office, which is nothing. Now, so it, the answer to the very, that very important question is essentially in technical term, the question of what is the tested party. Do you want to test, I mean, essentially the, uh, the value of the profit to the Irish branch, or do you want to test the value of the profit that goes to the, that goes to the head office? Now, and as the commission um, decision also explains, I mean, if you don't like the one-sided test, you can do a two-sided test. That's also what the OECD recommends, but it's not at all clear what this two-sided test uh, actually means. Um, you can then start thinking about how you would want to formulate it. And I think my best guess is probably in, in terms of a, a negotiation model, but this is not clearly defined in the, commission, in the commission decision. However, you know, it seems to me, taking a distance from this question, which is a technical question in the implementation of the arm-length principle, that the natural, the economic question is actually, where is the principle? Because the principle is the one that is going to put for tender a particular activity. Is the principle the Irish branch, or is the principle the head office, which is essentially holding the, uh, uh, the IP rights and the rights to use the intangible from Apple Inc.? And to my mind, if you look at the economics of it, the natural principle is Apple Inc. and by delegation, the head office of uh, ASI. And that would tend to support, I think, the the ruling of the uh, Irish tax authority um, in the sense that the natural principle is not the Irish branch. It's not for the Irish branch to put for tender uh, the right to do nothing. I mean, essentially, it is ASI, I mean, which is the natural principle by delegation from the, uh, from the US authority. So I think that even though I can see the, the reasoning of the commission's decision, I don't think it's as clear cut if you look at the underlying economics of it and if you ask the question of who is the uh, the natural principle. Having said that, I fully agree with, with Clement's perspective, which is that essentially the Commission, you can see, I mean, in terms, from the perspective of international taxation, as the Commission essentially using an instrument which I describe here maybe incorrectly as a bit clumsy, in order to address a problem which is fundamentally created by the US authorities and the fact that they've allowed all the value that is created by the intangibles and DIP to be left untaxed in this uh, entity which is not a uh, tax resident uh, anywhere. Now, I think it's worth looking at the consequence of that decision from two perspectives. First, the perspective of international taxation and then the perspective of, uh, of state aid control. Now, of course, the Commission's decision, even though, as Gerdian suggested, it was not its intention, the, the, the Commission's decision ensure that taxes are paid where the value is created, uh, in the sense that 
I mean, taxes are being paid in Ireland on the entire value and the entire profit that is generated by the sale of the iPhones. But of course, it doesn't quite achieve that either, because I mean, in the, in the, the current situation, I mean, Ireland is going to get the profit on the uh, target taxes, sorry, on the profit that is generated by the value uh, generated by the sales of the iPhones in the entire EMA region. So essentially, I mean, what happens is that the ruling does not really enforce the territoriality principle of taxation either, because it allocates to the Irish government huge amount of revenues uh, on sales that are generated outside Ireland. And then, of course, the French authority can legitimately ask, if we apply the, tax, the, the territoriality principles, why shouldn't we tax uh, the, the profit that is generated by the sales of the iPhones in France? Actually, interestingly, the only country that has an arrangement with Ireland in order to get some of the tax is Italy, because Italy has a withholding tax on the sales of uh, uh, iPhones or the sales of Apple in, in Italy. And of course, if you want to apply a territoriality principle, this is the sort of question you would want, you would want to ask. Now, interestingly, what the Commission's decision uh, does um, is to enhance tax competition among member states, because up until the tax ruling, I mean, providing uh, a tax sweetener, or let's call it a tax arrangement or a tax ruling the way Ireland did it uh, with respect to, to Apple, the incentive to do so was extremely limited because as we saw, most of the rent associated with this tax sweetener is actually appropriated by Apple. Now, of course, because of the commission's ruling, this is no longer the case. I mean, the, the, the benefit from the, uh, the tax ruling can no longer be appropriated by Apple, which means that, of course, all member states will have an incentive now to try to provide tax sweeteners in order to replicate exactly what Apple did before. Uh, of course, I mean, this is a probably an unintended consequence of what the commission, the commission has done, but this is a reality, is that now, as a consequence of this tax ruling, Apple does not appropriate the rent anymore. So there will be competition for the rent on a larger scale than before. Now, of course, all of this, as Clemens has, has said before, is a very poor substitute for a proper reform of international taxation. But given political realities, it may actually be the best option available. Let me now take the state aid control perspective on, the, on this decision. Now, and here, I mean, my slide originally, uh, when I wrote them last night, uh, was actually entitled Old Demons. And then I thought it was a bit offensive towards the commission, and so I replaced it by state aid control perspective. <laughs> and I just want to highlight the fact that from an economic perspective, I mean, this decision has some odd features. I mean, the first thing that paragraph 222 is, is a very uh, interesting paragraph. Paragraph 222 says that <coughs> exemption from profit tax is like operating aid, because the court has said so a long time ago. But of course, this is not right. I mean, there is a difference between exemption from a profit tax and a subsidy to marginal cost. A subsidy to marginal cost affects prices. I mean, an exemption from profit tax does not affect prices. So that essentially, there is no distortion of competition from the exemption from profit tax that you would have if instead you would uh, use a subsidy to, to marginal cost. So the presumption that there is a significant distortion of competition here you know, it's a bit difficult to sustain. Of course, the commission would be right, and it does it to some extent, when it says that having a profit tax will affect investment incentives, and it does, uh, because the profit tax will uh, influence the return that one can expect on investments. 
The Commission actually says it in, um, in, uh, at the end of paragraph 222 in a somewhat uh, inaccurate manner, but in any event, this is very much a second-order effect. I mean, affecting investment incentive is likely to be a second-order effect relative to affecting the, uh, the prices because you're affecting marginal cost. In particular, when you think that the investment incentives are determined not by what happens in Europe or what happens in the EMA regions, but what happens worldwide. So that, I mean, you can then from that perspective ask the question, why should the Commission worry about investment incentives of Apple and the fact that these investment incentives have been increased relative to the investment incentives of Samsung when it is not really an issue that has to do with the achievement of the internal market? And from that perspective, it seems to me that the Commission may have missed what may be the the most legitimate theory of harm or the most legitimate justification for its intervention in the first place, which is that this tax ruling, probably at the time at which, even though here is speculation of my part, but the tax ruling at the time at which they were granted by Ireland probably meant to attract investment in Ireland in the first place in competition with other places uh, in different parts of the community. So it seems to me that if there is a justification for state aid intervention here, it's not so much with respect to distortions of competition that may be induced by changes in investment incentives because these are likely to be I mean, irrelevant for the internal market as second order effect, but rather more in terms of the competition for the, uh, the establishment of companies and in particular of, uh, of Apple. Thank you. Okay, last, last but not least, Nicole, please. Okay, well, thank you very much. But the, it will change now. They... Okay. So I'll say um, a few words um, about the tax rulings from the perspective of an um, economist from private practice. Now, what we've seen is that since the, particularly since the Apple decision um, was announced, there's been far greater awareness of the importance of complying with state aid rules in the tax area. Um, I'll say a few words about sort of the OECD um, pricing principles, and then also just a few comments on the Apple decision. So firstly, if we look at the, the overall framework um, for, for state aid and the assessment of selectivity and economic advantage in fiscal state aid cases. Now, essentially, there are three main steps. The first step is looking at what's the appropriate reference system, then seeing whether that particular um, tax ruling represents a deviation from the reference system. And then thirdly, and this isn't the focus um, in these cases, is looking at whether that deviation is justified. Now, the controversial aspects in the Apple case and in the other tax cases of what's sort of what you see reported is the joint assessment of selectivity and economic advantage. And it's typically, it's presumed that an economic advantage is sufficient to support the presumption that a measure is selective. So really the focus in these cases really boils down to whether the tax rulings conferred an economic advantage for the companies. Now, in order to assess that, as I'm sure you're probably familiar with, you have the OECD's guidelines on transfer pricing. So the OECD's guidelines are very much just guidance. There are two, typically there are two classes of methods. The traditional methods 
where the preferred approach, and that's recommended both by the OECD and also by the Commission, is what's referred to as the comparable uncontrolled um, price method. So essentially, that's benchmarking whether the terms and conditions of the transaction between subsidiaries of the multinational in question are in line with what you see between independent companies. The other type of methods is the transaction profit methods, and they're very much based on looking at the profitability of the subsidiary in question and comparing that against an appropriate benchmark. Now, what we see in these cases is that there's a very strong preference towards the price benchmarking approach. So, for example, if we look at the Starbucks case, now, one of the key issues that was under investigation in Starbucks looked at whether the royalty that was paid by Starbucks to its UK-based subsidiary, Elki, whether that was in line with what you'd observe between independent companies. Now, Starbucks and the Dutch government argued it wasn't possible to benchmark the royalty payment or to determine the royalty payment based on what you see between independent companies on the basis there was not sufficient data. It was not um, possible to observe similar transactions. However, the Commission concluded otherwise, and actually, when they looked at other, other transactions, you would have concluded that no royalty um, would have been paid. Now, even what we see in these cases, even if you followed one of the OECD methods, there can be a number of issues associated with the details of the application. So, as ever in these cases, the devil is really much in terms of the detail of how the methods are applied. Um, and as an example of this, I'll refer to the Fiat Finance and Trade decision. So, the Fiat Finance and Trade, the tax ruling that was under investigation, was based on the transactional net margin methods. And of course, in the decision, it was concluded that the tax base was too low. And that was primarily due to two main reasons. Firstly, the capital base was defined as the minimum regulatory capital, which was much lower than total equity capital. Secondly, the rate of return that was used to estimate taxable profit was seen to be much lower than the market rates. And in particular, some of the key parameters that you need to estimate the required rate of return were very much towards the low end of the range in these cases. Now, if we turn on to the Apple decision, I won't touch upon because it's been <coughs> discussed in terms of the appropriate approach for the allocation of Apple's IP. Instead, I'll turn to the other areas where there's probably more of a role for economic analysis. Um, and this is part that, when the Apple decision is reviewed, this is typically part that gets forgotten, in that even if you look at the details of the decision, what the Commission concludes was, even if it was appropriate not to allocate Apple's intellectual property rights, even if it was appropriate to do that outside Ireland, there were issues with how the tax rulings were, how the method to establish the transfer pricing and the tax rulings were applied. <laughs> and in particular, there are three main issues. The first issue was that the profit indicator which underpinned both 1991 and the 2007 rulings, did not result in a market-based outcome. So the profitability measure was based on operating expenses, and that was seen for a number of reasons not to appropriately reflect the risks 
faced by Apple's two Irish subsidiaries. The second key issue was that the required level of profitability was too low. And in particular, sort of what's quite striking is when you read the Apple decision, there was no transfer pricing report that was drawn up at the time to support the tax rulings that were introduced um, both in 1991 and also in 2007. And in particular, um, even though the measures, the tax rulings were justified ex post, so for example, ex post evidence was prepared to demonstrate that the 2007 ruling was based upon an appropriate measure of profitability, there were lots of issues raised about whether the comparators that were selected, for example, were appropriate. Did they appropriately reflect the risks that would be faced by Apple's Irish subsidiaries? And then the final issue was that when applying a one-sided method, like the transactional net margin method, the side of the transaction that it's applied to um, must be the side that's what's referred to as the least complex function. So the side that faces the least the least risk, the least risk exposure, such that it's more, you're more able to accurately apply the methodology. And again, there were also issues about whether that was done correctly and whether it was appropriate to assume that both ASIs and AOEs, Irish branches, um, performed the least complex function compared to the head offices. Now, as I mentioned at the start, what we've seen is that particularly since Apple, there's a far greater awareness of the importance of compliance with state aid rules in this area. And in particular, with the scope of the investigations <coughs> growing, um, what's really important, and what you see very clearly from the Apple decision, is having that transfer pricing report prepared before the start of the tax ruling. And as the, sort of the Commission has highlighted various guidance, it's important that that ruling is underpinned by robust economic and financial analysis. And in particular, there are two really sort of key areas where economic and financial analysis um, can help. One is in terms of the evidence to support what is the appropriate OECD transfer pricing methodology to apply in a particular situation. And that's particularly important if a tax ruling is based on one of if it's not based on the comparable uncontrolled price method, if it's based on one of the other OECD methodologies, it's particularly important to have the evidence setting out why that approach is appropriate. The other area is looking at whether the profitability distribution across the different subsidiaries appropriately reflects the risks um, faced by, by the companies, um, by the multinational in question. And that's another area where economic analysis um, can help quite significantly. And also, in terms of the details of how you apply the transfer pricing rules, in terms of whether you're selecting the appropriate comparators, what is the right method of profitability for the tax ruling. So as we see in the case of Apple, the fact that aid recovery demands can be significant, and particularly as private actions can be brought against potential beneficiaries in front of national courts at the stage of an opening decision by the Commission, um, it's, it's increasingly important to take state aid issues into account, and that's very much what we see in terms of the behaviour of multinationals. Thank you.
All right. I, I do want to give uh, time to, to Gert Jan and Clemens to react to some of what has been said. But uh, given that time has advanced already quite a bit, let me open and collect two, three questions from the audience uh, before giving back the floor to, to our panelists. And I see one question here in the front and then one in the back. <coughs> Okay, I'll speak loudly. Uh, so, uh, thank you very much for having this, uh, this conference. I'm Joseph <coughs> Clarotti. I'm working in, in DG Research in the Commission, but my second hat is I'm a spokesperson for the European Federalists. And as we're uh, approaching the march to Rome on 25th March, right. I'm learning a lot on taxation, but I, I have a question for you. Is it seems it's really complex. And in today's world, <laughs> complexity doesn't win elections. Yeah. Where a proposal would be, if you take advantage of the single market to make profits, if you take advantage of the single market to repatriate your profits in one country, why not being taxed by the commission directly? That would provide the commission the leverage, <laughs> resources. And I think that when Apple discussed with Ireland paying in one year, the whole of the health expenditure for Ireland through its taxes, it's difficult to say no. When they go to Mrs. Vestager or to Gertian, maybe they'll find a tougher interlocutor for negotiations. I would like to have your views on that. Thank you. There is another question uh, in the back, and then uh, Scott. Um, several people, uh, including, uh, of course, Gerd Jan, attached on could, the Could issue. you please identify you? Uh, oh, sorry. Yes, uh, Jay Modrell, Norton Rose, uh, Fulbright, here in Brussels. Um, I wanted to come back to this question of arm's length principle and selectivity um, without going into too much of the detail on uh, the Xera presentation. Um, a lot of companies and, and, frankly, lawyers have trouble with the concept of selectivity being the same as arm's length or not arm's length because they say, well, if... Uh, everybody in, uh, could come to uh, tax authority and get the same approach, arm's length or not. Um, what's, what's selective about that? And I was interested to see in the Apple decision that indeed at the end of the decision, um, the commission addresses that argument. And it says, well, we collected a lot of uh, tax rulings which were alleged to be uh, comparable to see whether, in fact, the Irish authorities did treat everybody similarly when asked, and concluded in those facts that actually the Irish didn't. Um, I don't know whether that's the case or not, don't have any basis. But if, if that is relevant, um, as opposed to just arm's length, not arm's length, then it seems to me to be a, a very important issue for other cases. Um, in the GDF opening decision, for example, uh, that issue is not discussed. <coughs> Uh, and I'm, I'm told uh, by tax uh, people that uh, the, the rulings in that case um, were, in fact, uh, given um, just as a matter of course, and it was treated by the Luxembourg tax authorities as a simple, straightforward application of uh, uh, Luxembourg GAAP. No issue, no discrimination, no selectivity, unless if, if that issue is relevant to selectivity at all. If it isn't, again, why is it in the Apple decision? Thank you. Um, then, Scott, you had a question? Uh, yes. Uh, hello. Uh, Scott Marcus. I'm a senior fellow here at Bruegel, a German resident, I should add. Don't be misled by the American accent. Um, and um, I, I had some questions that relate really to predictability of investment and returns, particularly in light of, of the fact that the ruling is retroactive 10 years. 
Now, the, the guidelines on transfer pricing from the European Commission were updated in 2016. The earlier ones seemed pretty thin. Uh, the OECD rulings are 2010. Uh, the, uh, the Commission ruling here seeks to recover taxes going back 10 years, and it would have gone back further if you thought you could have. Um, I, I'd like to understand what the logic is and particularly what the risks are for invest investment if, basically, if rulings can change and, and then be applied <laughs> retroactively well in advance of the time when the rulings change. So and then, uh, if you if you allow, we have one last question, James. James Watson. Yeah, James Watson, Business Europe. I mean, firstly, that's a very good point that certainly in business we've been concerned <coughs> about the the impact this might have on predictability um, and investment going forward. My question though is more specific. I mean, Gert Jan, you've referred to these to this ruling as very technical and very legal. In that sense, do you think it would be helpful if such a technical and legal decision were taken out of the political process a little bit and, and, and done by somebody slightly independent? from the Commission. It does strike me that the Commission taking legal action against member states might not necessarily make the Commission more popular and, and might not necessarily might be help, helpful for the EU in that sense. Okay, I, I think we have uh, enough material to chew on here here on the on the panel and so, so perhaps uh, uh, Clemens, did you want to react to any any of the comments that you heard and then uh, I think Gert-Jan, uh, you will so it sort of should answer also a number of questions. But let's, let's start with you, Clemens. Yeah, I mean, I found this extremely interesting. I, I continue to think that this is a borderline case of, of state aid control, I guess, for the many reasons <coughs> we've heard. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, OECD guidelines are guidelines. And, and there's this issue of, uh, you know, the, the changes in 2010. But, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think, in that case, I don't think this is an obvious case. It's really about, uh, you know, the, you know how, do you, how do you look at this company ASI, you know, where, where are its activities? Uh, apparently the, you know, Apple way of thinking about it was, you know, there is a company with no residence and it has a branch somewhere. And, you know, you, normally you have separate profits in a branch. And, you know, it's, I think it's far from clear how much of overall profits should be allocated to that branch. So, and so far, I, I really do think it's it's a borderline case, and I really do think we have this issue of, of uncertainty. At the same time, uh, you know, I think all of this confirms that uh, our system, in a way, of taxing multinational companies is broke, uh, and it's you know, it doesn't lead to fair outcomes. I mean, if you think about the conflict between the U.S. and the EU about you know who has the right to tax these profits, uh, you know, this very much looks like a power game more than one of applying, uh, you know, reasonable rules. There's many, many issues in the debate, but maybe just to, to I'll start with some of the technical issues and I'll take some of the broader issues. I mean, maybe just on, on Damien's points, uh, two, two, two legal points which, you know, as a former chief economist, you will be familiar with. I think the first is that, you know, we, we can have a long discussion about the theory of harm but what matters legally here is simply whether there's a selective advantage to a company. That's the standard of proof the courts have formulated. In the opening decision, we actually uh, set out in, in great detail the distortionary effect you mentioned of competition uh, between uh, member states for, for, for investment. But legally, the situation is very, very clear cut. As economists, I'm also an economist, we can, have, we can have our doubts about this, but this is what the ECJ has confirmed time and again. The selective advantage uh, suffices in stated cases. Uh, to uh, meet the test of distortions of uh, competition in the internal market. It's very clear. Second point, we, we should not uh, uh, get confused about uh, uh, the transfer pricing rules uh, too much because um, uh, what we are looking at here, and this is really important, is one company. 
these are not two companies, a mm. subsidiary and a mother company. This is a single company that has a headquarters and a branch, right? So, so that, that's, that makes it uh, uh, rather different from, from a mother company and a subsidiary that trade with each other. This is a company that has a single set of accounts, right? So you still have separate taxation of branch profits, right? No, I think the, the, the point is simply that you have an Irish company with one set of accounts, uh, and that's all there is, right? That's all there is. That's the reality. And then the question is, you know, what is the tax due for that company? And then basically what is being said here is that, you know, there is an Irish branch, and this Irish branch should only pay a cost markup uh, 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 in, in terms of corporate tax. But it's a single company. So a lot of the transfer pricing issues that are at the heart of uh, uh, the OECD guidelines are actually, for the purposes of this specific case, because it is so extreme, uh, actually legally absolutely not relevant. Uh, I repeat that, not relevant. But it's the this, underlying principle that is relevant. Uh, and well, th I think from a, you know, you know, the, the, the advantage of state aid is that before you get to economic theory, you look at the facts, right? The facts is a single company, single set of accounts, right? But, but here you have to make sense of the facts. Yeah, well, well I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> Apple chose, uh, did, I mean, Apple chose to set up this company in <coughs> Ireland. The Irish tax authorities had a long discussion with Apple, as you, uh, I think, uh, referred to indirectly, about whether uh, this was desirable, how much employment was going to be created. Uh, there is quite an interesting uh, uh, set of exchanges in our opening decision uh, to illustrate these points. Uh, and the conclusion of this discussion was that uh, uh, this, company, this, this company would pay uh, uh, some taxes on a, on a, on a cost markup. That's it, right? So the question then is, on what basis was that decision taken? Uh, that, that's the, that's the, 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 the legal question we have to answer. And you cannot, I think this is very, very obvious, I think from all of the state aid practice in fiscal cases, you cannot attribute uh, uh, you know, 99% of the profits of a company to something that doesn't exist, that doesn't make sense from a corporate well, tax I think point Apple of view. Would, 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 they would challenge that, wouldn't they? But they would they, say they, you know, they, it's they a foreign are company it, with no residence in it's Ireland not a, with a branch. But you, you're going wrong again. It's not a foreign company. It's a single company. It's no, a single no, they company. Would, they would argue it's a company with residents outside Ireland it's with an, a branch in Ireland. I'm sorry, you're, you're wrong. It's an Irish company which is not tax resident in Ireland. Exactly. That's the difference. But yeah. it's first and foremost an Irish company which has a branch in Ireland. So you have to answer these questions. You have a single set of accounts. You know, I think this is really, the, the facts are really very important before we get to the theory, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. The fact is you have a company that is registered in Ireland uh, of which a branch is taxable in Ireland, tax resident in Ireland, and then the question is, given that it's a single company, where do you attribute the profits, right? <coughs> so I, I think important to look at the facts. Uh, then Damien said something which I think is also a bit, uh, um, you know, with which I disagree. It's not the US tax authorities that are giving Apple Inc. a tax break. This is, this is, you know, what is happening, again, look at the facts. There's a cost-sharing agreement that leads to a situation where you know, a European company pays more than half of the R&D uh, and IP development costs uh, of, uh, of, 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 of the activities. That's the reality, Damien. Sorry, I, I disagree with you. I mean, the, That's a fact. You cannot disagree no, no. with facts. Let me give you the facts. I mean, the well, fact in a post-factual I don't think that's where Damien is going. Okay. I'm oh, sorry. There, there is a fact I mean, in which, in principle, I mean, the income that U.S. companies earn abroad yes. is taxed in the U.S. Yes, absolutely. There is a particular provision which says that there is, it's called actually subpart F yes, for an absolutely. income. Yes, absolutely. And in this case, it says subpart F 
foreign income uh, is not going to be, actually this income is not going to be considered as subpart F foreign income because in the presence of a cost-sharing agreement, then it is possible that the intangibles that are used that have been granted to that company abroad, the IP that has been granted to that uh, company abroad, uh, even though it leads to an improvement in the value of the product, they remain untaxed. And that's US tax law. But, but and this is not the normal, I mean, if you would apply this, right. that's right, but if you were applying your standard principle to US tax law, you might question, I mean, is it that what the US tax authorities have done to Apple is it the normal way in which the tax system should have been implemented? I, Damien, I mean, my, my point is simply that the European companies paid for the IP and they're paying for the development of the IP. Right. So they should be. So, they so the, the profits, the profits that they owe, that, that they earn on account of this IP, you know, are taxable in Europe. That's yeah. the only point I'm making. No, you're, you're and that's not that's not a state aid given in the US. I, I find that a strange reasoning. Okay. Can I just let, let's forget about that reasoning? Mm. But you're confusing. But can I, can I just because we, we all have very little time and there's some higher level questions which which I wanted to tackle. Yeah, let, let him about about uncertainty. I, I think this is a this is an interesting point. It's an important point, but you know, I think we need to look at the consistent <coughs> case practice of the Commission when it comes to state aid. State aid is, by definition, uh, a measure that a member state takes because it believes it is entitled to do so. Uh, it gives it to a company. Um, and if the Commission concludes that this measure actually amounts to state aid and that it's not compatible, then you know, it has to recover, the, the member state has to recover this aid. So, of course, uh, a member state will not be will, will not be comfortable, and a company will not be comfortable. But that's the legal order of the European Union. Uh, since since 1957, we have been applying state aid rules. So, also to your question, should state aid control be externalized because it is political? Given that it's in the Commission, that that's a bit I, I think what you what I, what I heard you saying. But, you know, we've been applying competition law uh, in 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 the Commission since 1957. I would point out that in the U.S., the DOJ. Uh, is, is also uh, a, a, a part of government and is entrusted with, with, with significant responsibilities for antitrust. So, you know, I think it's a legitimate question. People, people have views about this. I actually happen to believe that it makes sense <coughs> for it to be in the Commission for, 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 for other reasons. But the fact that illegal state aid might, might be found incompatible by the Commission after a number of years is, 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 is simply the consequence of the legal order which we have created, where the Commission is the guardian uh, uh, to, to protect uh, other companies, other member states, against the consequences of granting state aid. So member states are always free to consult the Commission, either to notify to the Commission or to ask the Commission whether a measure they are intending to take amounts to state aid. So, so that, that, that is actually, I think, uh, a rather fundamental issue that goes well beyond, obviously, the, 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 the cases at hand. Okay, um, I think we are we are coming uh, to to an end of this session. Um, um, I mean, there was one more question by by the federal federalist, um, which I think will, remained unanswered. But it's a bit beyond uh, uh, this this Apple case. But certainly, um, I think the issue of corporate taxation will become much much more important now with this new U.S. administration in in place. And I think the question whether the EU and the European Union is actually going to be able to uh, change its corporate tax uh, income system in a way as to respond to a possible change in the tax system in the United States. I think is one of the key political questions that, that we are facing, and Clemens, you alluded to it. Um, uh, will, we, will, will we be able, I mean, this, this corporate income taxation is to a significant extent also a struggle between, between, between countries. And, and, and I think uh, the European Union certainly 
um, uh, faces this, this disadvantage that uh, on taxation matters, um, uh, we actually need unanimity, not on state aid, uh, but on taxation, we need, we need unanimity, which makes us a comparably uh, weak partner in this, in this struggle with, with, with the United States. So this is, I think, for, uh, for another event, uh, this debate. Uh, please join me in, in thanking um, our, our, all of our four speakers <coughs> for this excellent uh, event, excellent contributions uh, to a very complicated but very important but also politically important case, in fact. So thank you very much.